You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening. This is the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, along with your other host, your well, your, your well caffeinated Mister. Brandon Gorey. Mm, it's good to be back. It's great to be back. Uh, I have been on vacation for the past two and a half weeks. I went scuba diving. I uh, have a redneck. It's not just a, a, a name for somebody from the South. I literally have a redneck now. Uh, even though I use sunscreen, also went to Disney World. And I learned uh, as I finished Space Mountain... I looked at my son in front of me, and his uh, neck had my uh, laptop uh, charger cable on it, and my DC brick was behind him, and I'm going to tell you why. So uh, we did Space Mountain two days before. Uh, I put my bag down by my feet. No big deal. Had a great time. Uh, The ride was awesome, like always. Uh, Two days later, we went back to the Magic Kingdom, and we tried Space Mountain again, and the conductor was like, hey, you can't put your bag by your feet. You have to put your bag around your arms and put it up in front of you. I was a little reluctant. I went ahead and said, okay, uh, I'll do it. But we go on Space Mountain. Uh, We have a great great time. And as I said, we get to the end. I see all my stuff scattered everywhere. I'm like, ah, crap. So I pick it all up. I'm all disheveled and just trying to get out of there quickly because there's a finite amount of time between the time that your coaster gets in, you need to get out, and it goes to pick up the next uh, party of people. So I'm, you know, very rushed. Uh, I pick everything up. We exit uh, Space Mountain, and then we head to uh, another part of Tomorrow World at Disney World uh, to go get our, our drinks refilled. And my my uh, watch barks at me and says, hey, you left your AirPods behind. I'm like, I did. I reached in my bag and I saw my uh, my case from my AirPods and I was like, no, they're here, I think. And I open up the AirPod case and lo and behold, my AirPods are gone. So I do what anybody does who is an iOS user who uses tracking. I pull out the Find My Phone app and I look at a map and the map actually has Space Mountain on it and I see my left and my right. AirPod Pro are in Space Mountain. They fell out of the they fell out of the uh, the train, the ride, and they are uh, there in Space Mountain. So, my wife uh, said, "Well, go to guest services and uh, file a uh, a lost and found report." I reluctantly did so because I was like, eh. "I mean, I guess it tells me where they are, but I'm not going to see these again." So I file a report. Uh, it's an online thing that you do. You scan a QR code. You put all your information in. 
I even screenshot the Find My Phone app to say, hey, if you find my AirPods, they're going to be here on Space Mountain. Um, when you go to Disney World and they do the fireworks, uh, I did not know this, but when they do the fireworks, they shut down all the rides and the fireworks thing lasts like, uh, whatever, 45 minutes. And while that's happening, they do a sweep of the park to try to look for any stuff that's been lost. They race it up to the front of the Magic Kingdom into their city hall area, which is where their lost and found is. And then uh, people who lost things as they exit the park can go, hey, did you find this or that? And then they say yes or no. Well, I went in there and lo and behold, they did not find my AirPods. Who's surprised? Well, speaking of surprises, the next day, the next morning, we are getting on our flight to fly back to Austin from Orlando and my phone buzzes and it's uh, my Gmail saying that uh, Disney World located not one, but both of my AirPod Pros and I got a tracking number this morning and they are on their way back. It is the most magical place on earth. Someone deserves a raise. Today's sponsor is Luminar Neo. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, harness the power of artificial intelligence using Luminar Neo. Uh, both Brandon and I have used the program. We've done uh, YouTube videos on it. We love the program. The artificial intelligence in it is great. It takes away a lot of benign tasks that I don't want to do, like power line removal. I find that it's a race tool is really nice. And unlike Photoshop's generative AI fill that we talked about, there's not a long edge limitation of 1024 pixels. It just takes your big ass file and does what it's supposed to do. So use the, use the code Kevin10 at checkout. Uh, or just follow the link that you'll see in the description of this podcast, and you can get 10% off your copy of Luminar Neo today. How have you been, Brandon? So far, so good. It's been busy. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a videographer for a YouTuber, or a pretty well-known YouTuber named Caleb Hammer, and the last couple of weeks, we've been setting up a new studio space. So I've been busy, haven't been shooting as much, but looking forward to getting back into it. Caleb Hammer? Yes. Is he related to MC Hammer? You know, that was so close to being funny. If, the, if MC Hammer's from the Midwest, there's a possibility. Dad jokes are my forte. All right, we're going to shift gears. And today's episode is the medium format episode. We're going to talk about medium format photography. A lot of you listening to this are probably seasoned and you know medium format, in which case you may just be entertained or get a refresher in today's episode. However, we are going to have a discussion about medium format and it's really focused on all of you who are curious about medium format, maybe you want to get into medium format, have questions about medium format. Today is that episode. Uh, you'll hear Brandon and I talk about shooting medium format all the time. Uh, we're going to go over the terminology, the different formats, et cetera, et cetera. Brandon shoots on a six by 4.5 medium format. Damn right. I shoot on a six by six and six by seven medium format. Uh, and then they make a lot of other different sizes. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I think the first place we need to start is on the education for medium format. So we're going to talk about um, the film that medium format uses. Okay. So uh, those of you who shoot 35 millimeter film, 
you're like, oh, okay, 35 millimeter. It's just like a term that you've, you've come to learn. You, you just, you just use the term without really thinking about what it means, but it actually uh, is a size, a 24 by 36 millimeter uh, negative size. And that is 864 square millimeters. And that is the size of your negative. That's also the size of a full frame sensor which is why uh, it's become the standard. So uh, 120 film was surpassed by 35 millimeter film due to the fact that it's cheap, uh, it's portable, it's really easy to, or at least it was, you know, easy to get developed because there are places everywhere that would develop it. It quickly became the choice of the consumer. But professionals uh, liked medium format uh, for several reasons. Um, reasons that we'll get into here in a minute, but I want to still... Uh, stick to the topic of film types. So you hear 35 millimeter, and that is the uh, wide side, basically, uh, you know, 35 millimeter, 24 by 35. Uh, it's wider than it is tall and a two by three aspect ratio. Uh, but you may also hear the term 135, which is what Kodak classified it as. It's just like the product skew. Well, not even really the product skew because there's different sub skews of 35. It's just the format. That's what they call it. 135. Well, they also made 120. It was the 20th daylight loading roll film on flange spools that Kodak produced and they dubbed it 120 film. And that is not to be confused with 120 millimeter. There is no 120 millimeter film. Uh, the reason why they don't commit to a size on medium format is because unlike 35 millimeter film, which is a fixed 24 by 35, the only thing that is fixed on 120 film is your vertical, which is six centimeters or 60 millimeters, but like everything people round up, it's actually 56 millimeters, not 60. So all 120 film on the vertical side is 56 millimeters. Now, why is it so appealing for professionals to use 120 film over 35 millimeter film? Okay. As I mentioned, you got 24 by 36. Let's go to the very smallest uh, size of 120 medium format film, and that is your six by 4.5. That is 56 on the vertical end, like we talked about, by 42. I said that 35 millimeter has 864 square millimeters of usable negative space. Well, six by 4.5 has 2,352 millimeters, square millimeters of usable space. That's 2.72 times larger than 35 millimeter. So the absolute smallest medium format 120 film you can get is almost three times larger of a negative than 35 millimeter. That means that you can blow up your negatives and make larger prints. You can see finer details on your scans. Uh, and then things just look a little bit more realistic. I will get into the reasons why here in just a moment, but I just wanted to start that off so you can understand like from a quality standpoint, how much extra space you're getting. Now, I said that it's, it's 56 millimeters on the tall side. On the vertical side, they make 6 by 4.5, 6 by 6, 6 by 7, 6 by 8, 6 by 9. In much more rare instances, they make 6 by 12, 6 by 17, and 6 by 24. 
Now, because the size of a 120 roll is exactly the same, the amount of images you can get per format varies based off the format. So if you have six by 4.5, you get 16 shots. And if you go all the way up to six by 24, you get only three shots on a roll of film. Pretty crazy stuff. Now, uh, the, we'll just stick with the common ones. I said that medium format uh, six by 4.5 is 2.72 times larger than 35 millimeter. Let's go up to six by seven, which is probably the most popular um, medium format outside of six by 4.5. 6 by 6 is also super popular, but 6 by 7 gives you 3,752 square millimeters. That is 4.34 times larger of a negative than 35 millimeter. So the point of what I'm getting to here is quality. And and Brandon, from I've, I've gone through statistical reasons why it's asleep. better. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it here. <laughs> I've gone through statistical reasons why medium format is better, but what do you see with your eyes? What do you see with your eyes? So if you're not developing your own film, I highly recommend developing your own film because you will actually, uh, you'll get to see the color differential in the negatives as well as if you're scanning your own film, you'll also see that color differential. Um, in a 35 millimeter frame, your colors are like the colors that are represented in that film stock are fighting between crystallized grains of film. It's kind of like when you have a low resolution digital camera and you go to edit it, you notice that the edits that you try to make, they have a much, much higher impact because there's a lot less data to work with. And the gradient from from uh, color to color, as well as from lights to shadows is also a lot steeper. So you don't have that nice dynamic range. Now, when you move into the 645, 6x7 medium format territory, like Kevin said, you have a higher resolution and you're able to capture higher details. You're also able to fit a much better dynamic range of hue and light. Not to mention, this is also really important to, to state, is that with 35 millimeter cameras, just by virtue of what they are and how they're more consumer based, you can get a range of lenses from really low quality to really high quality sharpness that can make a massive difference, especially with high resolution scans, you're gonna notice that difference. Now it pales in comparison to the 120 format, but let's move over to the 120 format cameras. It's very, very difficult to purchase a 120 format, medium format camera that has not great glass. In fact, you almost have to try to do it because the medium format camera range, the, the lineup, because it's meant for professionals, the glass is inherently so much sharper and a lot better engineered to take better photos. Right. And the fact that because you get to start with larger components, because medium format glass is larger than 35 millimeter glass, it is harder to make glass smaller and let in more light and do this and that and this and that. If you already get to start with larger components then uh, it's a lot easier to make the glass higher quality. Uh, and that is exactly what they do with medium format glass. Another thing to keep in mind about medium format that's so cool is because it was specifically made for professionals, as Brandon was, was talking about, like all the glass is great. And it's true. You can get something like a Mamiya 
six four five. I'm sorry. You can get something like a Mamiya uh, C three thirty, which shoots in a square, six by six, with their one hundred and five millimeter. Uh, I think it's an f three point eight lens. You can get those for like four hundred dollars. That's not that expensive, and you can shoot medium format today on that thing. It's a twin uh, lens reflex, so you got to learn about parallax and stuff like that. But it takes fantastic photos. Is my point. But outside of that, the C330 is technically meant for consumers. But here's here's the really great thing about shooting on medium format, and it's the experience and the customization. So when you um, go get something like a Hasselblad, you actually have to do a little bit of research on it because when you start off with a Hasselblad, it's just a box. And I'm talking about uh, specifically the one I have, which is the 500CM, but they're all kind of on the same uh, uh, platform. So you get a box. And all that box has is the little mirror up and all that. Um, and then you have to put things on it, like a film back, like a, a cute matte uh, glass. And then you have to have a viewfinder. It could be a waist level finder, or it could be a prism finder, it could be a chimney finder. And then you have your interchangeable lenses. And then they have other like accessories, like handles and things like that. But that's the really cool thing about medium format is that you can kind of customize it out the way you want to. They even make digital backs, so. One of the problems with uh, shooting in the dark when you're looking through glass is, oh, it's not bright enough. Well, you can go out and buy a digital back and, and put it on there, and you can just look at a screen on the back of your film camera, uh, you know, make things nice and sharp and in focus, and then you hit the button, and you're good to go. So that's uh, that's another thing about shooting medium format is, is the experience, and I'm just going to, like, uh, demonstrate it. So hold on. So as you heard at the top of the show, like, when you, when you go get – a digital camera. Let's say you get a Canon or a Sony or a Nikon, and I, I shoot on Canon, uh, and 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 Brandon shoots on a Nikon. They're just tools that get a job done, and in general, you know, they have good imaging sensors and so on and so forth. But I think at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot about my Canon R5 that's sexy, you know, as far as uh, running the camera. You know, it's got good ergonomics. It's got pretty good glass. It's a it's a good tool to get the job done. But when you get a old camera, you run it. So, you know, you go up to it, you open up the, you, you open up the viewfinder and you just hear these really awesome sounds, right? And then you, you cock, you cock it. And then you hear that leaf shutter go. And then you do the same thing over and over. And you know, that is, that is running the camera, so to speak. And, uh, it's a pleasure to use these cameras. They, they make, uh, amazing sounds when you use them, but they're, they're completely mechanical. There's no battery inside them. The craftsmanship on them is amazing. And so, you know, there is an experience that one has using a camera like this. And, you know, you have a Mamiya 645, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about the experience of using that. The lovely thing about using medium format cameras, what I personally do enjoy about using my Mamiya 645 is you know, I don't exclusively shoot film and shoots um, that much anymore, but when it comes time to switch to the film camera, it, you definitely feel like you're holding something that's going to go pow a little bit more. So you set it up, you know, it's it, you have a ritual. You know that there's a first thing to do, there's a second thing, you're taking out the film, you know, you're you're spooling up the film, you got to lick it and make sure that it's it's tightly sealed, and then you change spools, you film... You film up again, you, you wind the spools, you put the back in, 
you close it up, you wind the camera, you check to make sure whether your prism finder's on, you know, whether you're doing manual shutter speed or if you're doing automatic like program, which is on, which is available for the 645. And the funny thing is, is when you're shooting and you've got your subject is they just watch this whole thing going on. You know, they think you're a wizard and really you're just, you know, you're just setting up a camera. You know, this is old school. This is what people used to do. You're just trying to keep the train on the tracks. You're just trying to, yeah, <laughs> they have, you know, like you're, you've got a whole bunch of stuff going in your head. You're like, okay, if I can, if I can set this camera up and get the film going for like 10 minutes and make sure I've got everything lined up, then when, you know, <laughs> like realistically you're stressing out, you're like, we've got to get through this look. We've got to get through that. I need to get these shots on film so that I can then go back to digital for the first preliminary shots of this look. It's a whole thing, but there is such a joy in using it and it definitely adds so much more dimension to photography. Yeah. There's a rhythm to it. Uh, there's a rhythm to using these types of cameras and obviously you're, you're, you're using film too. And we are going to get into digital medium format later, by the way, there is digital medium format and we'll talk about that, but we're going to stick with film for the first part of this episode. But you know, you take something like a Hasselblad, right? Okay. There goes up the, uh, the viewfinder and then you wind it up and then you put the mirror up and then pop just sounds Yeah, if you don't have a shotgun at home and someone invades, you know, just pull out a Hasselblad and start whining and firing it. They'll leave. Or throw your Mamiya RB67 at them and you'll fucking kill them. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what that thing is, man. But there's just a rhythm to it. You know, you're running machinery. Um, you know, you hear these old timers talk about they don't make them like they used to. Well, if you ever get to use a, uh, you know, a, a Hasselblad that's been uh, you know, restored or a Hasselblad that was babied like the one I bought. It is an experience. Uh, and it, it makes your photography more enjoyable in my opinion, but we're talking about the experience. We're going to go back to the quality and things like that. But before we go on to the quality, there is another uh, kind of geeky thing I need to get out of the way because if you're watching or watching, if you're listening to this episode, we'll eventually start doing YouTube, but I'm uh, getting lazy about setting that up. But if you're listening to this episode and you're like, great, this sounds awesome. I, I love the allure of medium format. It's time to get into it. One place where you're going to fuck yourself up is when you start seeing the lenses and the focal lengths. And so we do have to have a little bit of a discussion about crop factor because most of you who are listening to this, unless you're a Fuji user or a Panasonic Lumix user, uh, you're probably used to the 35 millimeter standard focal lengths. So, you know, like if we just talk about a normal field of view, we talk about 50 millimeters. If we're talking about slightly wider than a normal field of view, kind of a storytelling focal length, we talk about 35 millimeters. If we're going to talk about something that's, uh, you know, a portrait, a headshot focal length. I think we could all settle on 85 millimeters being pretty much a standard for that. But uh, it changes. One of the cool things about medium format is your field of view, which I'm going to get into here in just a minute. Uh, but we're going to talk really quickly about crop factors because it actually changes based off of the uh, aspect ratio, the format that you shoot in. So 35 millimeters is the standard, okay? And we're just going to we're going to keep it super simple. 
50 millimeters your normal field of view. We can all agree on that. Now, if you go to something like a, a Fuji APS-C camera, uh, it's actually like about 35 millimeter. You take that, you multiply it by 1.5, you're right around 50 millimeter. That's what a normal field of view is on something like a Fuji X-Series camera, right? Um, now we go over into our film world. We have six by 4.5. We have six by six, six by seven, six by eight, and six by nine. I'm not going to worry about six by 12, six by 17 and six by 24. Cause those are such specialized cameras that even a seasoned film shooter like myself has never used those. I just wanted to let you know that they existed. Now, even six by eight and six by nine are pretty rare. You really just focus on three, six by 4.5, six by six and six by seven. So I said, 50 millimeters is uh, the standard for your normal field of view. It's about what you see with your eyes. On a 6x4.5, you have a crop factor of 0.62. So if you want to be at 50 millimeters, you actually need to be at about 80 millimeters. So if you have a Mamiya 645 and you have something that says it's about an 80 millimeter, that's your normal field of view. If you go to a 6x6, like my Hasselblad, uh, they also uh, have the 80 millimeter kind of be your normal field of view, but it's actually a 44 millimeter. So it's slightly wider than normal field of view, but that's just what Hasselblad decided on as their normal field of view on a six by seven that actually uh, turns into a 90 millimeter gets you to 45. You need to know these crop factors because the six by seven is actually the easiest. It's a, it's a 0.5 crop factor. So you just take whatever your lens is. If it's a 90 millimeter, you just multiply that, or I'm sorry, not multiply it, divide that by two and you're at 45. Um, that, that's good to know because, you know, if you want to get into medium format and there are focal lengths that you shoot in 35 millimeter standard. So it's like, I shoot 35, 50, and 85 as a portrait photographer. Those are my three go-to uh, prime uh, focal lengths. And so on a Mamiya 645, I'm sorry, I don't have a Mamiya 645, but on a, on a, on a, a, a 6x6, I have a Mamiya C330. Um, I have a, a Hasselblad, a, a, you know, 500 cm, and I have the equivalents of those uh, in 35, 50, and roughly 85 millimeters. So you want to know about those crop factors, and I'll just say right now that the crop factor, if you go the digital route, if you buy a Hasselblad digital medium format or a Fuji uh, medium format digital, it's a 0.79 crop factor. So 63 is your normal field of view. You go from 63 down to 50. Uh, 45 is 35. Your 35 millimeter and the 35 millimeter focal length uh, is 45. And then your 110 on a, on a Fuji GFX is about your 8590 portrait, your tight one. So I just want to make sure that if you're, you're listening to this uh, and, you know, some of you might think that's boring, but uh, if you want to know what lens to buy, you actually need to know the focal length. So, and you do need to know the crop factor so you understand how things work. However, there's a caveat to all of that because one of the things that's different about medium format is the aspect ratio. So all of you who shoot a 35 millimeter full frame, you shoot on a two by three aspect ratio. That's not the, that's not the case when you're shooting on an aspect ratio uh, on a medium format because it could be a six by 4.5, six by six, six by seven, or in the case of something like a Fuji, uh, it's three by four. And what is the benefit of that? The medium format look. You hear people talk about the medium format look, but what does that actually mean? So uh, one of the things that, what, if you go out and you buy a wide angle lens with a super shallow 
uh, depth of field, very bright. It's going to be an expensive lens. If you go out and you buy like a 14 millimeter 2.8 or something like that in the full frame world, it's going to be a super expensive lens. Uh, and the reason why is because to get something that's wide, that has a shallow depth of field, it's just super expensive. But naturally, uh, medium format lenses have a shallower depth of field to them. And so because they start with a wider aspect ratio and they have about a stop more shallow depth of field, they give you a different look. You have a different aspect ratio and you have a shallower depth of field. And so you achieve that really beautiful shallow depth of field with a wider uh, field of view with medium format. And so you'll hear people talk about, oh, well, the, you know, have that, it has that medium format look. That's actually what they're scientifically talking about. They just don't know what it means. They just know it's prettier. And, you know, that's what that is. Uh, what, what do you subjectively want to describe that as Brandon, like the, that medium format look? Well, there's a caveat to that because you're absolutely right. Um, there is that shallow depth of field while maintaining a, a wide field of view for sure. But what there's also a medium format look when you're shooting at F8 or F11 and you're shooting full body and the mountains are also in focus and that look is extremely peculiar on a, on a 35 millimeter negative. That look will look very, it'll look very flat. Um, you will be separating the subject by color and by shape alone. And yet, and yet on medium format, if you've got a girl out in the grass and there's mountains behind her and you, you have the background and the foreground all in focus, there is still a, a very livable and like discernible distance between that girl and the mountains. Um, because I, I think, I don't know, I, I could be totally wrong in this, but the way that the light hits the lens, the lens is bigger compared to the scene than a 35 millimeter lens is bigger than compared to the scene. So it, it demonstrates a relationship between subject and background that is a little bit more visceral and digestible in reality. So I think what Brandon is touching up on there. So we measure things in two different ways. Photographers, we talk about f-stops all the time. That's what we talk about. All an f-stop is, is what happens at the lens. In the cinema world, they talk about t-stops, and that's the light that actually hits the sensor. Medium format collects more light at the sensor or at the emulsion, the film. And so uh, even though you may see things, because you may be shopping and you may go, well, these why do these medium format lenses only go to 2.8? Why aren't there more shallower depths of field on these and brighter lenses? There's a couple reasons for that. One, every time you like add a stop of light, or I should say open up a stop of light, you have to like square the amount of glass that you use. So manufacturing a lens that is already large and then having to like, square the amount of glass that you need for it, it gets stupid expensive and stupid heavy very quickly. And then it quickly becomes an impractical lens. And then they also look at the fact that like we we're talking about with T-stops because more light collects on a sensor on a digital medium format camera and more light collects at the actual film emulsion on a medium format camera. The T-stops, the, the film medium format, you don't necessarily need the lenses to be as uh, bright. And, and, and also because a medium format lens collects, uh, it's a more shallow depth of field. 
And by the way, one of the things Brandon was talking about with the, um, with like the mountains and everything is they actually compress more. So because the depth of field is naturally shallower on a medium format lens and the compression is greater, it has that really badass, expensive lens look going on to it. Uh, but to that point, you uh, don't necessarily need faster lenses uh, when you're using medium format because of the way that they're built and the physics and the science behind it. And so I, I think that's, I think the T stop thing is where I was going with that. You were talking about light collecting on a emulsion or a sensor. I was, I was saying that even though you can shoot it in F eight and an F 11, the photo still breathes a lot more. It's almost like you can, there's like a very difficult to describe sense that there's still space behind the subject between the subject and the background. And in 35 millimeter, that's a lot harder to detect. Yes. And part of the reason for that is uh, things look more realistic on medium format because there's less perception distortion on those lenses than there is on uh, 35 millimeter APS-C and micro that's, four thirds. That's exactly what I was saying is the way that the light hits the lens and then gets inverted onto the actual uh, material, onto the actual film there's less distortion because the, because the ratio of the film to the actual field, like the actual view of the setting itself is it's, um, man, this is why I'm not a mathematician. I can describe the inherent sense of something, but like, <laughs> that's, that's our balance on the show. You are the, I, I, I tends to go more in the weeds on it for you. You tend to go more on the subjective side, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but it's like you can definitely you can definitely tell it's the perception distortion. That's a great that's a great uh, definer. That was like that's like the elephant in the room for me. What I'm trying to describe here, but yeah, things look less realistic on 35 millimeter. And I mean, you should, when you go to large format, it looks like you're in the room with with uh, whatever photo you've, you're viewing. You know what I mean? Yeah, large format. Um, you know, that is something that may, I may do down the road. I hung out with this guy in Fort Worth, uh, who, who was doing some large format and just the process of watching him work was just so cool. Like it was cooler than the photo itself. Just watching him try to set everything up and going into his little hood and, you know, making all his little incremental adjustments and everything. Um, and the picture turned out really well, but, um, yeah, it's just it's just crazy watching watching large format people work. Uh, maybe one day. Yeah, there's a reason that fashion photography, if they do decide to shoot on film, that the overwhelming majority of it is shot on medium format. It it, it just has such a regal, tasteful look to it. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Back when I was in college, and we've talked about this a billion times, but we were switching from film to digital. And to me at that point in time, 35 millimeter film still looked better than digital. I'm to the point now where if I'm in, a, I have a, a small collection of 35 millimeter film, but I actually don't really shoot much on 35 millimeter film because once I scan it, I tend, I mean, it's, it's kind of close enough to my digital stuff to where I can start splitting hairs on it. When I put a six by seven negative up, it is very different from my digital work, including my medium format digital work. It's just this different thing. It's more three dimensional. That's all uh, as we were talking about. It's also mm -hmm. cheaper. Ye 120 film is on the whole cheaper than 35 millimeter. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. Yeah. It, it varies is. by film stock, but overall it's cheaper. It's more affordable. 
Yeah. Um, not, not on a per shot basis, obviously, but just materials. But there's also the other thing um, that I want to talk about with 120 film is I don't like uh, scanning 35 millimeter negatives. I don't like how like flimsy they are. I don't like trying to get them on the tray. Uh, I, I, you know, actually it's funny. I don't like how many negatives I have to scan. You know, usually you'd be like, Oh, I want more pictures. I like that medium format forces me into roughly 10 to 12 shots a roll based off the formats I shoot, because it's like, Oh, I had to shoot with more intention. Oh, well, I guess I need to make these pictures work. And I find with 35 millimeter there, here's the difference. When I go do a shoot with 35 millimeter, oftentimes I still have uh, frames left over on the roll and then I have to roll them over to another shoot. Fucking nightmare. And yeah. And I hate that track of anything. Yeah. I, and I hate that because then I'm developing two shoots at the same time. Well, what happens if uh, the roll gets fucked up? Well, then I lost two shoots. And so uh, I, I rarely lose rolls of film. I develop the film myself, but I actually like the less is more. Like, I would rather have less really badass almost perfect, those nice, beautiful three-dimensional shots. I would rather have less of those than more shots. Cause I, I often find myself when I shoot, uh, you know, 36, especially at 36 exposure, uh, 35 millimeter roll of film, I often find myself, uh, find myself going, okay, well, I kind of got the shots I want, but man, I've got like 13 shots left on this roll and I don't re I'm running out of shit to do and I'm losing daylight. You know, like it's dusk. I'm doing a dust shoot and I've already lost the daylight more than that. I don't even think that's a hot take. I, I find that when I go to shoot 35 millimeter photos or I bring that camera to a shoot, like I just, I almost don't care. Yeah, like I, I treat my 35 millimeter cameras as just like a dick around. Like if I'm seeing my friend at a cafe, I'll bring it to take some fun shots. But like, I definitely, definitely agree with you on the 120 on a shoot. It, it's not that even that it forces you to be more serious. It's that you want to be more serious because the look of the film is so much more enticing. When you shoot on 35 millimeter, you get the scans back and you're just like, fuck, I just, may as well just shot on digital. Yeah. Like I, I had a, a magazine cover I did and I got on 35 millimeter with it and it looked okay, but it was like, man, I'm just like picking it apart. Like I wish I had shot that on 120. And, uh, you know, but that they're more flimsy. I'm not a fan of dealing with the negatives, uh, on my flatbed scanner. I just find that, uh, uh medium format, uh, 120 film, uh, does a, a better job on the scanner cause they're thicker and they're bigger. Uh, well, I don't know if they're thicker, but they're definitely bigger. I think they're actually the same, the same thickness. Um, plus you get more personality out of the film stock you're using. If I shoot cine still 800 T on 35 millimeter, I can pretty much guarantee that these shots are going to be just throwaway, quote unquote, artistic shots. But if I shoot these shots on medium format, because there's so much data and it's an inherently grainy film, I'm going to get shots that are along the line, look more like cinematic movie stills from Blade Runner. You know, that's, there's just going to be a much higher fidelity and it lets the film stock itself breathe. You get to see the full personality, same with Kodak Gold, same with Portra 400. It just, the color, there's so much more space for the color and the profile of the stock to breathe. It almost feels like it's the only way you can shoot film, which is a terrible thing to say since it's, there is like a price gap and there's like, there's a boundary to get over between 35 and medium format. Yeah. Well, you know, 35 millimeter I shot in college cause that's all I could afford and medium format was a fantasy. Like I actually had a, um, my, my book in college, my, my, uh, my study guide, my, my textbook, uh, had a Mamiya on it, uh, six, four, five, or maybe it was a Pentax six, seven. I don't remember what it was. It was, it was some medium format camera. And to me, it was just like this fantasy. Like I'm going to be able to afford that someday. 
you know, and it's, and it's going to be worth it. And thankfully I eventually got to the point where I could afford medium format and I'm happy to report it is absolutely worth it. Um, you know, get, like I said, growing up, uh, in college being broke, uh, you know, obtaining uh, the medium format was, was just a really, really cool thing for me. And, uh, it, thankfully it was everything I hoped it would be. I just love shooting the format and, uh, yeah, uh, my favorite, my, I'm going to talk about my favorite cameras now that I like to shoot on. Uh, obviously my Hasselblad 500, uh, CM is, uh, my favorite six by six and my Mamiya RB 67. And for those of you who don't know, the RB means rotating back because it's six by seven. Is I, thought the it meant, I thought it stood for rotating ball sack. That would be interesting. Or um, trying to think of something else. I'm starting to think of something like really stout, some sort of weapon terminology, like uh, really badass, you know, something like that. You know what? This is a total tangent, Kevin, but I've recently gotten into this game on the Xbox that I play with the homies. It's called Chivalry 2, and it's a first-person fucking night game with just like 100% gore and you just choose your weapons. You just go into an open fucking battlefield and just fucking, you just beat the shit out of other people in medieval combat. You just lop their heads off with a uh, bastard sword. Oh my God. Yeah. There's actually a bastard sword. It's sick. See what they need to have is they need to have an RB 67 as a, oh, as a choice, like you a, could. something you could unlock. And then you could just go up to some dude and just like smash his head in with a RB 67. Instead of the ball on the morning star, the top is just an RB 67. It's like a, just like a war hammer. Just, just, just fuck someone up. That would be pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if you're listening to this, Yes, we're having conversations about video games here. But if you're listening to today's episode and you're wondering, how do I even get into medium format? Uh, my recommendation on cameras to start off with, uh, I think uh, Brandon and his uh, 645 would be a good one. The Mamiya 645 be an excellent, you know, you can get into those for what, about 500 bucks with a lens. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got three lenses and that like mint condition 600 bucks. You can also get the Bronica ETRS. That's a great starter, great intro or Yashica, uh, one twenty four mat or yeah, there you go. Yeah. My, uh, my recommendation also of one to look into, um, is the Mamiya C three thirty. You can get one with the lens for three ninety nine all day long. And, um, if you're listening to this, uh, I know. And Hey, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I'm doing it based off of experience. If you're going to purchase something, if you can't find one locally on Facebook marketplace, or you're just like not really sure what to test for, go onto eBay and buy it from the shops in Japan because, uh, these Japanese shops. And like I said, I'm painting with a broad brush here. They fear nothing more than a bad review. And I have found that in my experience, they are, you know, they under promise over deliver. So it's like, Oh, well, well, it'll be there in five days and it gets there in two days. Um, when they say something is near mint, they mean it's mint. When they say something is, uh, you know, average, it's actually pretty good. I find that if you compare the shops in Japan and the way that they, uh, talk about the condition of their, uh, products versus somebody like B and H. So like I bought a, a Hasselblad lens, 50 millimeter, uh, F 4.5 from B and H it said it was a seven out of 10, which to me means 
okay, the front element is good. There's no scratches that are going to affect the pictures. Maybe there's some tiny pieces of dust, but there's no separation. There's no uh, fungus. And, you know, maybe there's a couple scratches here and there on the chassis. Well, there's like this uh, bayonet or like barrel thing on the older uh, 50 millimeter Hasselblad lenses. And the thing was just spinning around. Like it was just rattling. And B&H said that was a seven out of 10. And it's like, come on, man, this is maybe a four out of 10. And so I re I returned it and they put it right back up on their website as a seven out of 10. So, uh, you know, point being, if you purchase it from the shops in Japan, they will, uh, you know, under promise over deliver and, uh, an experience, I'll just talk about an experience I had. Uh, I've actually had two experiences, uh, with shops in Japan. So when I bought my RB 67, uh, the, back had a light seal leak on it. No, 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 that wasn't it. I did the light seal leak later. I bought an extra back from somebody and there's a light seal leak on that. But, um, I actually had a clutch that was bad on my, my film back. And the guy was just like, Oh, I'm sorry. Why don't you just go get a quote locally to get it, uh, you know, fixed. And then I'll just hook you up. So the guy ended up taking like, it was only like a $70 fix. And I, I use the same guy that Brandon uses for all of his camera. Uh, Soren Marku. Cool, yes. cool little, cool little tidbit about this guy. I sat down with Soren. He's a Romanian, really, really cool guy. He escaped the Romanian regime. He escaped Ceausescu's dictatorial regime on foot through, th through the Alps into Italy, into Italy and was nearly caught and shot multiple times. And now he's just chilling in Austin, Texas, repairing cameras for people. Basically, like works out of this little closet in South Austin. Yeah, and he makes his own espresso. He will invite you to have an espresso with his machine. It's amazing. Well, that guy's awesome, and he fixed the clutch on my uh, my film back. And uh, he, he ended up getting me about $130 off of my RB67 purchase, so I thank him for that. And then I also bought a 180-millimeter uh, f 4.5 lens for my C330. And of course, if you're listening, that's a six by six camera. And what is the crop factor on that? 0.55. That was a quiz. So the 0.55, the 180 millimeters, more or less a 90 millimeter lens. It's kind of your equivalent of an 85 in the 35 millimeter world when you're taking tight portraits like headshots and so on and so forth. And when you get those lenses, they have a little tab on them that goes between the aperture and the, uh, the shutter speed and the tab broke. And like, I only spent like maybe 130, $150 on the lens. And so I just, I, it, it got broken in shipping. And so I just reached back out to the guy. I was like, Hey, you know, I appreciate you getting this to me. Cause he ended up getting me in like two days from Japan, like DHL, like second day air. Um, and I was like, Hey, I appreciate you getting this to me, but man, it's, it's broken. So well, what do I need to do return? He's like, no, 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 no. Don't even worry about it. I'm just going to like refund the money. You just keep the lens. And so I got some of that, I think it's called like Sogu or whatever that, that, that there's like an adhesive, um, that's like a flex, it's like a flexible adhesive and you put it on something and you let it sit there for 24 to 48 hours. Actually, I did it three weeks ago. I need to actually go check it. So, uh, but it, it basically forms like a, a hard plastic. And so that fixed it. And so I, I, I spent $7 and 99 cents on a, on a $150 lens. It was great. But, uh, point being the shops in Japan, you'll see it and you'll be like, Oh man, why is it like $50 to ship something that's $200? It's like, why? Cause you're going to get it in two days. And if anything goes wrong, they're going to take care of you. 
And those are just the two instances I had where even though I ran into an issue, it got resolved. Most of the time, the experience you get when you buy a medium format camera from somebody in Japan or a lens or a Hasselblad or whatever, they will show you like when you go to the the products eBay page, there will be a video. And when you click on the video, you see them like it's like this Raiders of the Lost Ark thing with like all these like drawers they open up the drawer and it's like got a velvet lining to it and everything is double bagged and dust free and all that. And then they like open it up and they show you like your Hasselblad body and like, here it is. And then they put it back in the dust free packaging and close the drawer. That's the level of care that they put into these, uh, these cameras, and especially with like Mamiya and Fuji cameras, that's where they're made Japan. So they have a really large inventory of uh, vintage cameras in Japan that are just like mint. And so to me, yeah, I'm going to pay the extra $50. Cause I don't, you know, if you're going to go, Hey man, for an extra $50, you can have something that's going to be perfect. It's never going to have any issues. Hell yeah. I'm going to pay the extra $50 for the shipping. Um, you know, if you know what you're looking for, then yes, you can, you can roll the dice on the Facebook marketplace. Uh, there's actually a lady right now who has a Fuji GFX 50, which is, uh, uh, the Mark II version, which is a $4,000 camera locally here for $1,300. I'm actually thinking about just being like, Hey, can I check it out? Cause if I can get a GFX 50 for uh, $1,300, that's a really good deal. Of course, it's probably hot. <laughs> it's probably stolen, man. Even so Facebook marketplace is a lawless land. You are listening to the F11 photography podcast. Real, yeah, real quick. Also, we never plug the name. Yeah, if you want to get your camera repaired for from a great mechanic, Eurotech Camera Repair. That's what that's the guy we're talking about. Yeah, and he does stuff like all over the country. We talk about him like he's this local Austin guy, but he's he he does stuff all over the country. So, Eurotech. The check check him out and uh, call him up if you have uh, issues because he will fix your camera and he's not that expensive. So. Uh, old school guy for sure. But uh, let's shift gears to medium format digital because we talked about the different aspect ratios and all that. Uh, medium format digital is a different beast. So you've got these like twenty, thirty thousand dollar Hasselblads, which have these enormous sensors, like less than one one percent of one percent of us uh, who shoot photography even can afford that, let alone use it. So I'm gonna more shift gears to uh, the Fuji. Uh, side of things. So I have a Fuji GFX 100S. It's a 100 megapixel medium format camera. So I told you that it's 24 by 36 centimeters is what you get when you have a uh, 35 millimeter sensor, a full frame sensor. Well, in the world of uh, medium format digital, you have a 33 millimeter by 44 millimeter sensor. And so it's a much larger sensor. The pixels are larger. They do better in low light, like to the point uh, where if I shoot at 12,000 ISO, it looks like I'm shooting on Portra 400. That's the grain size at 12,000 ISO in, 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 you know, shitty light. Uh, I've done some really amazing projects on that camera. I've made huge mistakes where the dynamic range on that camera has bailed my ass out. So uh, for those of you who shoot mirrorless, as you know, you have like a preview, like an exposure preview. It's like, hey, based off of your triangle settings right now, this is what your exposure is going to look like. When you're in the studio and you're using a flash, you turn that 
off and you just want the screen to be as bright as possible so you can see what the hell's going on and then you let your flash do its job and then you adjust the flash based off of what you see or what your meter tells you. And so I was uh, doing kind of a hybrid shoot where I was shooting a model, Sophia, who's a really badass model. who We had her in here for an interview. Go check that out. And uh, I did some studio shooting with her and it was great. And then I was like, hey, I want to do some shots outside. Well, I forgot to turn my exposure preview setting back on. And so it was off. And so as I'm looking through my viewfinder, everything looks perfectly exposed. And I'm like, great. And I start taking pictures. Well, turns out I underexposed everything by five stops. It was fucking black, basically. Like you, you look at the images and they're black. But I remembered the poses that I got out of her really strong in those shots. So I was like, I wonder if I can recover this. So I go into Capture One. I take my exposure. I move the slider over four stops. Well, I said it was about five stops underexposed. So I'm going to pull the rest out. I grab the shadows and I've slid that bitch all the way over to the right. And then I started messing with my black point a little bit. And, you know, if you, if you have experience working with digital files, what happens to shadow detail when you underexpose and you pull it up? It looks like shit. This looked so good that she used it for an Instagram post. I mean, not that that's like a good standard or anything, but to be good enough to use for an Instagram post, being able to like take some uh, image that's completely black and completely recover the image to the point where it could be posted as an Instagram post that could save your ass. If you're a commercial photographer, then you make a mistake and you're like, Oh man, I had this shot and I accidentally screwed my settings up. You can bail yourself out. But I also want to talk about, um, the differences between, uh, the sense, the, the dynamic range. So, uh, that is one of the advantages of using a, uh, medium format digital camera versus something like a Canon R5 or a Nikon. What is the, is it a Z9 is the big one? That's the flag. That's their flagstone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a Z9 is it's a badass camera. And then I think Sony has like their alpha one or whatever. But anyway, um, so the difference when you get a full frame camera, and this is true as you start going down. So like I shoot on three different digital formats. I shoot on full frame. I use my Canon R5. I shoot on an APS-C. I shoot Fuji X for that. I shoot on a X-H2, which is a beautiful camera. Uh, and the APS-C technology is getting places. Uh, and then I also shoot on Fuji uh, medium format GFX. The biggest difference I see as I progressively get better on the sensor with the dynamic range is in the shadow detail. So, uh, Full frame and APS-C, uh, you know, maybe you're taking a picture of somebody over water and you see a shadow cast over the water. Well, on the APS-C and the, uh, the full frame camera, it'll go, okay, that shadow's black. But on mine, it's like, no, 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 that shadow is aquamarine. I can pull green and blue out of that shadow that these other two cameras can't. And when you start seeing that stuff appear and translate, even on an Instagram post, that is why people shoot on stuff like medium format is because of the dynamic range that it gives you. It pulls a little bit more color out of things that the other cameras can't, but those colors aren't artificial. They're what you saw with your eye. So it's more realistic. Um, and it's not quite a six by 4.5 sensor, but I kind of hope that, uh, the next thing that Fuji comes out with, the thing that they replaced the GFX 100S with is that they come out with a 6x4.5 digital. Oh my God, that would be insane. And one other thing to keep in mind that's kind of cool is because a 33x44 sensor 
is smaller than all of the 120 sensors. You know, whether you go six by 4.5, I say sensor actually meant a ratio for film, but a six by 4.5, six by six, six by seven, all that. You can take the lenses from those systems and you can adapt them to Fuji GFX. You can also adapt them to full frame and you can also adapt them to APS-C because you're taking something larger and you're putting it over something smaller. And so as Brandon had talked about earlier in this episode, those lenses are amazing and they're not that expensive. Like you can buy a 180 millimeter Mamiya lens that goes on RB67 for like 110 bucks. That's the equivalency of a 85. And you go try to buy a, a, a Nikon flagship 85 millimeter. I'm guessing that's about $3,000. Like their flagship 85 1.2 or whatever it is. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's the same thing with the Canon RF 85 1.2. It's $2,700. And so uh, if you want to get something, uh, you know, if you don't need to be shooting at 1.2 all the time, but you love the uh, the compression of that 85 millimeter, that vibe, you can go out and buy a, a 180 millimeter uh, Mamiya lens and then get a, a, you know, $200 adapter and throw it on your Canon R5 or you can throw it on your, uh, your, your Fuji GFX medium format. And, and so that's the, you're breathing new life into these lenses as well. And so, uh, that's something that I've been doing lately is I've been taking my medium format lenses and also integrating them into my digital side of things. And then, uh, you know, integrating them into one of our sponsors that we had on here to Hanser. And you can actually get super close to a film look because you're using a vintage lens on a film emulator. And then you also have a really nice, uh, sensor in something like a Fuji GFX. And I mean, I've been able to get some really cool film looks that way. And so it's just, it kind of gives you like this new hybrid uh, of, you know, being able to be artistic and just get kind of different looks that you don't get when you're taking something that was meant to go together, you're taking it and you're marrying it to something that it wasn't meant to work with. And you get some really unique and cool results that way. And so that's another cool thing about medium format is you actually have the ability to adapt these really cool lenses to your digital cameras. So <laughs> turned to me like, like I've got a story about adapting film lenses to my cameras. <laughs> no, no, I just, I just ran out of stuff to say there, but, um, but yes, uh, I just wanted to talk about medium format in today's episode. Uh, you know, do you have final thoughts about medium format that you want to express to the listener, Brendan? You know, my final thoughts about medium format is, if you're shooting film and you're, you're taking yourself very seriously as a photographer and you want to improve your work and really scrutinize the work that you're making, I'd go, I'd, I'd invest in a medium format, but I just, I will say that if photography is a hobby and you don't really get, you know, care too much and you're more worried about just taking fun film photos cause it's, you know, kind of just feels cool. Uh, I'd stick with 35 because, because just, you know, fair warning, as soon as you get to medium format, the shots become three to four times more expensive. Cause you've got your, you've got your photo amount cut in half. Um, the rolls are less expensive by a little bit, but that's okay. And then it's, it's also something we didn't talk about is that medium format cameras aren't famously portable. They're kind of, they're kind of just studio cameras and, you know, you can get the, the TLRs like the Mamiya C330 and, you know, you can kind of like strap those around your neck and they're kind of portable. Um, in fact, Stephen Stanley Kubrick has a whole body of work as a 15 year old with a twin lens reflex, which is something that you usually shoot with a waist level finder. You, you're looking down at your waist to shoot forward. 
And someone who made the TLR really popular is Stanley Kubrick because he took that to boxing matches. He was hanging out of his windows, shooting downwards. He was taking impossible shots with a TLR, but most people don't do that. So if you're an action photographer or if you just like shooting on the go, your medium format cameras probably aren't going to be it. They're kind of a little more nuanced and they have a little bit more deliberation to them. You have to have an intention already to use them. Otherwise, it's kind of just lugging around a thing of metal. Right. But if you're the type of cam- if you're the type of photographer who is a spray and pray person and you just shoot, 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 and you're kind of feel like you're getting stale with your work and you want to like try something different. Well, nothing is going to shake up your world and turn you on your head more than trying to shoot medium format film because it's like, great. You have, you have uh, 12 shots at most. You have 16. If you shoot six by 4.5, make it count. And it's going to cause you to slow down. It's going to cause you to look at your work differently. It's going to cause you to really put a lot more intention into your work. And I personally, uh, attribute that to the fact that I now take less digital shots. I have conversations with photographers all the time and they're like, Oh, so how many shots do you normally take during a session? I'm like, mm, maybe 200 and like, what? I take like 2,500 shots during a session. And I'm like, why? Like if you have the talent level to execute film shots, 10 to 12, maybe 16 during a session, why the hell do you need to take 2,500 shots? Are you saying that you don't possess the talent to do it in 200? That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you're unsure of yourself. And so, you know, if you want to take that step, you think about the finite amount of time you have in a day. And if you spend 10 seconds looking at a shot and you have to go through 2,500 of those, that's a damn eight hour day right there just to go through one session that you did in an hour. That's insane. That is insane. Uh, I used to be able to go through a 200 shot session in like an hour at most, cool your photos down, pick what you like and move on with your life. And if you haven't gotten to that point, then I recommend you get into medium format and give it a shot. That does it for today's episode. I thank each and every one of you for listening today. Please check us out at f11pod.com. You can use that handle on Twitter. You can use that handle everywhere else. We're f11pod. So uh, check us out. Also, check out our link in the description below to get your 10% off of Luminar Neo. Thank you to our sponsor. Uh, I really do recommend all of you check out Medium Format. Uh, if, if that's something that you think would appeal to you and improve your photography. But until next time, chase light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.